This is episode 44 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 44 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Corey McKinnon on the show and you're not gonna wanna miss this one because Corey talks about everything from getting his first property to the intricacies of doing a development on an old church. He's taking an existing church that he bought for $150,000 and he's turning it into an apartment building and it's gonna be worth $5 million when he's done. He walks us through the fundamentals of that project and how he's creating $900,000 of equity in that deal. In the episode, Corey talks about how he found a mentor at the age of 30 and bought his first property and how he proceeded to retire himself at the age of 36. He's a fast actor. He's an aggressive investor and he's got a great story and a great mindset. I know you're going to love this one. Some quick housekeeping. If you have not already taken a moment to join the Greater Hamilton REI meetup group, please take a moment and do that now. We do meet monthly with the exception of December, but we're back in the new year and we're constantly building our network. Lots of investors come out, share stories, share ideas and help each other grow. It's one of my favorite things to do on a monthly basis and I would really love the opportunity to meet you in person so if you haven't already check the show notes and join that group you can also reach out to me on instagram or facebook at the andrew hines if you'd like to connect or if you'd like me to send you that link without further ado please enjoy episode 44 with Corey mckinnon hello and welcome to the andrew hines real estate investing podcast i have Corey mckinnon on the show all the way up from sarnia Corey, thanks for coming on hey no problem my pleasure so we've been trying to arrange this for a while and uh, you're a long way away, so. No, I appreciate appreciate your patience. Well, no problem. And, and I knew it was worth it because uh, you're doing big things. I know uh, I hear your name all the time and uh, I'm always like, what's what's that Corey guy doing? <laughs> he needs to come on the podcast and tell everyone about it. So if, if you wouldn't mind, um, do you mind just giving me a little bit of a, a bio about yourself, you know, where you come from, what you do, sure. and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So right now I'm 43 years old. I didn't even buy my first rental property until I was 30. So for all the listeners out there that are, you know, in their 20s and they're like, oh, man, I still haven't bought something like, don't worry, like you can definitely catch up because I was able to catch up and then retire by 36. So um, born and raised in Sarnia, Ontario, and I guess I got exposed to real estate a little bit through my father, like he had a rental property. Um, I remember growing up, um, one of my first childhood memories was actually being in the, uh, we used to live on the main floor of a duplex and there's a little old lady that lived upstairs that kind of came with the house, right? So kind of got exposed to it at a young age, not at a big level, but yeah. So then I, uh, you know, I went to, you know, school for sports and rec admin, never really pursued that career. It was kind of like half, you know, kinesiology, half business. And I really liked the business portion of my college degree. And I uh, ended up working for a student painting franchise company. So I did that. Like right college, college pro or something uh, like that? Yeah, it was actually their competitor. So student works painting. Okay, Red, yeah. white, and black signs. So I did really well in that. And I ended up moving up in the company several times to the point where I was the vice president of Canada for that division for Eastern Canada. And oh, nice. I stayed there for 17 years total. Uh, great company. Loved the culture. You know, by the end of the day, it wasn't my company. I, I didn't, uh, I had a chance to buy in on a small level and it was very expensive at the time. So I just said, okay, well, instead of buying in there, why don't I just keep buying more real estate? Right. So, um, probably the big segue, you know, uh, gateway drug for me was, you know, when wealthy barber book came out and rich dad, poor dad came out. Uh, these were all coming out in the late 
90s, early 2000s. And that's really what got me interested in real estate that, hey, there are other ways. You don't just have to go work for money. There's ways that you can just make your money and your assets work for you. So okay. I'm a big numbers guy anyways. I was always getting, you know, A pluses or 95 or 100 percent in math in school. So <laughs> so the numbers need to make sense for you. What what's your background as far as your parents go? Were they they weren't real estate investors, I take it? Well, my dad was a dabbler. So he um, he you know, he came from that work hard era, like work hard, get a good job, you know, go to school sort of thing. He never went to school. So he just uh, ended up doing the blue collar stuff all, all the time. And that, that was fine. Right. Back in the 60s and 70s, like if you didn't like your job, he would tell me stories of just like you just quit and you just go get another job. Like there were so many people that were hiring at the time. Just everything was booming. Right. And labor was fairly cheap. So, you know, single income uh, mom did some things to make some money like hairdresser delivered flyers um, babysat you know all the regular stuff right so my parents were kind of entrepreneurial um, but never in a big big way and I guess you know like you know I kind of took business as like a competition or a sport right like my paper route when I was in grade five we ended up tripling the size of the, the paper route and they had to cut it up into different routes when I was done right so oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of like my entry into entrepreneurship. I just loved it ever since then. So you you were like kind of the Gary Vee entrepreneur since you were a little kid kind of thing? A little bit, yeah. Like cutting grass, doing odd jobs. Um, to me, I just, you know, maybe it's the wrong mentality to take, but I was I was trading my time for money at first. But, you know, you build up a nest egg and then you can do something with that nest egg. But uh, I don't know. I just like that satisfaction of, you know, you go earn your money and then you can actually go to things to go do things or buy things that you want to do. Right. My parents thought I was crazy, but I bought a six hundred and fifty dollar bike in grade seven. I was just like, you know, th- these are this is like my car. This is my my ticket to just roll and do what I want to do. So, OK, so you, so you were saving up right from the ki- being a kid, just finding a way, hustling, getting get things done to kind of get what you wanted. Yeah, I was a good saver because yeah. I was actually at the tail end of some of the, the high interest rates. Right. I remember being a kid and saying, OK, mm-hmm. I got three hundred bucks in the bank. What's this ten and twenty dollars pop into my account? My dad would explain interest and everything else. Yeah. Of course, over time, it just fell off the fell off the cliff. It was very yeah. nominal after a couple of years, but it was good to see some of that. Oh, I never really thought about it from that. So you're saying back when the the whole like mortgage crisis in like the early 80s when it was like 18, 19, 20% interest, your yeah, savings you, account actually would, did well then. Yes, your savings account would also pay out pretty well too. Like they were paying 10, 12, type of percent. Yeah. That's actually how my father-in-law was able to retire early. Like he, he was just making money, keeping it in the bank, getting interest on it. And it would it was growing exponentially back. Your rates rates shot up and it actually uh, served a few people. I think it hurt quite a few more than it served, but that's actually a, I've never heard a story of somebody saying that that was actually a good thing for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and I think the banks obviously got smart and they just thought, okay, well we don't have to give it all this interest. And they just, it totally changed. Yeah. They just decided that they would keep it, which they actually still do today. I don't know if you are like your numbers guy. I'm, I am too. So I see back when the whole prime rate drops were happening, we have, for those who aren't from Ontario, Canada, you know, in Canada, we have prime rate, which the banks tie their variable rates too. So, so we'd have a discount off of prime of, you know, a quarter percent or three quarter percent. Well, every time prime would drop rather than give the full, the full, uh, difference, they would just reduce the discount off the bank rate that they were, uh, the bank of Canada overnight lending rate. Sorry, I misexplained that. So basically they've just been pocketing the difference every chance they get. Uh, and people don't notice. I'm like, is somebody going to say something about this? It's crazy, right? It's, it is crazy. So be the bank yourself. So you don't have to use the, you know, keep all your money in the bank. 
Yeah, well, it's funny, like, you know, the banks are regulated by our government and they make changes and policies that are supposed to affect the public, but then somehow the bank finds a way to take that change and just use it to profit them more. Uh, but yeah, be the bank. I, I like I like the way you put it. Know the know the rules of the game. Know what people can do and know what you can do is is a big part of that for sure. So your first property, thirty years old. How'd you buy it? Yeah, great question. So I actually started looking at properties years before that. Um, I think it was maybe twenty five or twenty six years old. I'm like, okay, you know, I've been out. I've had a job. Now I'm saving up some money. I'm gonna go buy a house, right? Um, but what I didn't realize was in one of my first years in corporate, I was kind of spending money as if I was earning what some of my peers were making. And then we had a, a slow year that year. So I kind of spent up here and earned down here and I actually uh, missed a couple payments. Um, so that gave me a, you know, a B minus rating on credit. And when I was going to get approved for mortgages, one of the first properties I looked at was a little duplex. I already had all the roommates lined up and everything. And, um, uh, didn't get approved for the, for the best mortgage rate. And I was being stubborn. I just said, you know what, I'm not going to do this deal. Then I'm going to just wait. And, uh, they call it, you know, sitting in the penalty box or whatever, let your credit improve. And, um, I basically just house hacked. So I found a really good two bedroom apartment in London, Ontario, a great city. I always wanted to live in London. So finally my job and my career got me into London after being in, you know, Toronto and Cambridge and Kitchener landed in London and um, found this place that had a double living room and two bedrooms. So I took one of the living rooms, I put up some China walls, uh, made that my room, and I was renting out the two other rooms and basically living pretty much for free. You know, some months when the utilities were higher, there was more expenses, but so I did that for four years and I was learning actually from my landlord. So he had about 20 properties and I'd go out for lunch or out for breakfast with him once in a while. And being that I was in like a student painting company, I was like, Hey, if you ever need painting done, like I'm your guy or I'll bring my crews over and just charge $20 an hour or whatever. So he taught me a lot of the fundamentals, like just some of the things he would look for, like good brick construction, um, properties need to have parking, um, no weird Frankenstein type renovations inside the house, you know, things you can't change. Like you can't change the size of a bedroom if, if there's no extra square footage inside of a house. Right. So just some of the basic things like that. And we would talk about the property I was living in. So I was living in, in a, the back of a sixplex and he would throw out numbers once in a while. He'd be like, you know, if you ever want to buy this place, it'll be 350,000. And then it was 365 and then it was 380. And then I was like, yeah, I'm interested. I'm like, I'm interested. Like, what do I need to do? And he's like, go get it pre-approved. And he was just one of these guys, just one liners and just, you know, he, very busy guy. So one of my franchisees called me up one day and said, Corey, and this is before text messaging, because I don't think there was really texting back in 2005. Um, they said, Corey, there's a for sale sign on your sixplex that you're living in and where we always have our team meetings and stuff like that. I was like, whoa, Mark was supposed to tell me if he ever sold that place. So um, he, he listed it high and it kept falling through on inspection because it had like asbestos tile roof and galvanized plumbing and some knob and tube. Um, so I think I got to the point where I was like, Mark, like, why is there always like people coming and inspectors coming and viewings? And there's been like a couple dozen of them. And he's like, I know. So we should actually talk because this has fallen apart three times on inspection. Um, so he paid his realtor a commission just for doing all whatever pre-work that he did. And he said, look, do you still want to buy this thing? I said, yes. Like, I know it's a big property. I got to figure out how to do it. So I pulled from my, uh, my IRS, uh, RRSP, uh, did the first time home buyer loan there. Um, got a, an advance on my commission at work. Like I basically begged, borrowed, steeled to come up with the $106,000 down payment. 
so we could close on the six plex. So you did 20% down or? Back then you had to have 25% down. 25. So okay. it was a pretty significant down payment. And um, so it went a little bit bigger on my first one, but I think it was a great lesson because it's almost like I tell people it's almost like running a marathon in your first running race instead of doing like a, a 5K or something. It's a little bit easier. Anybody can do that. Not everybody could qualify for a six plex right off the bat. So. Well, that's uh, a good way to start your your portfolio on steroids. Yes. Um, you know, most people are starting off with a single family. I know that's how I started. It's uh, one of the things like I actually regret not, you know, I regret not doing this because I started working right after I graduated university in London. And I wish that I just bought the property that I was living in or, you know, downtown. I had a place, three bedroom, two roommates living in there. If I had been smart enough to do that, then could have done the 5% down. Could have rented out the two rooms, lived for free. You know, I was paying like five fifty a month. I could have been paying five fifty a month anyway, but building equity and that's right. you know, kind of benefiting all that. It took me, it took me. I mean, until twenty four. That was like that was when I was twenty one. It took me three years to kind of finally put that together. Three years too long, I say. I know, I know. You know, your focus goes elsewhere, right? Your focus is on your career. Your focus is on your friends, your family, um, and access to information back then just wasn't as easy to find, you know, even as today, like there weren't as many podcasts and YouTube channels and information out there. Right. So if we all had a crystal ball, we'd all be zillionaires, but, um, we just didn't know. I, nobody really knew how much property values would start taking off. Right. So but the fundamentals were there, right? We could have seen, well, okay, well, inflation is 2% and that's pretty fundamental. And, you know, we're, I don't think 4 or 5% appreciation rates are, but we see that, you know, 2% makes sense. We know our mortgage is going to pay down 3% a year, something like that. So so just just based on the 2% gain you're getting, if you're only putting 5% down, you're, you're doing quite well. I think that works out to 20% return on investment or more. It does. Yeah. If you're, if you're 20% down on a hundred grand house and it goes up by two, 2%, that's 2000 on 20 grand down, that's 10%. Those fundamentals were there, but I mean, I don't know if you can relate to this, but when I graduated university, I graduated with a business degree and absolutely no idea what I was going to do with that. I, I'd seen real estate. I'm like, how could I do that? Like, I had no idea. I didn't think I could qualify. I was on a two-year contract. Um, just a whole lot of no clue because I knew what school was telling me is like, you know, you should be investing in your stock portfolio. You know, we're getting three, four percent. I'm like, but my student loans are three to four <laughs> percent. Yes. So that doesn't work. What's well, the thing, right? Like a lot of these um, popular books and things of that nature, they they'll recommend that you get into real estate, but they don't they don't really tell you how to get like five, 10, 20, 30, 50 doors right so it's uh they'll they'll say yes go go in house hack or go um live in a duplex and live for free on the main floor or whatever but they won't actually tell you how to go okay this is how you scale it up really fast right this is how you can you know burr your properties so my fortunately my first landlord he was a big burr guy like he would just turn and burn them right just um you know fix them up get it refinanced on the next one, on the next one, on the next one. So you just figured that out on his own? Yeah, he he actually, his very first property, he was 18 years old. And I think the owner of that property gave him a big vendor take back. So he got in the game early. And uh, then he got business partners and, you know, just doing all the right things. He was was definitely working full-time in real estate. And it was great to learn that from a person that's fantastic to just have that mentor. I have a similar kind of mentor relationship that that really helped me get off my butt and, and, and do something. Um, for those who aren't familiar, bird, buy, renovate, (laughs) refinance, rent, repeat, uh, in some order like that. And then, um, what was the other one we said? uh, Vendor take back. There's a vendor take back mortgage. Just that's when the seller provides you financing. That's actually a thing. 
Um, I don't think I've ever done that personally, but I imagine you've done it a few times in your travels. Yeah, yeah I've done. Uh, I've been on both sides of it. So I've given a vendor take back or held a small second on a on a property to make the the deal work. And I've also done some where we've bought and yeah. we've um, you know the price was one thing, so we gave them the price they were looking for, but then we negotiated the terms we wanted, which was the for them to hold a bit of a second mortgage on it. Yeah. And just since we're on this topic, what do you think the main selling point is if you want to get a seller? I'm assuming that it's probably easier to do it off market when you're negotiating that. But if you want to get a seller to agree to a vendor take back mortgage, what's what's the real reason that they would want to do that? Uh, Great question. So I find that it usually works out in a few different situations. So it works out when uh, the person has a lot of equity in their property. Um, typically they can see the benefits for capital gains purposes and that sort of thing. So you won't have the full capital gain in that year. If you do have undertake back, it gets spread out. Um, and that's probably more a question for an accountant or whatever, for someone to go look at a spreadsheet on it, but there are some benefits to it. Or if they're just naturally like kind of like an entrepreneur or they're an investor themselves, they're usually a little more open to it as well. Um, or if they've lent money before. So, or if they're just, I guess the third scenario could be they're just uber motivated. Like that's the only option they have. So they have to take the option that's in front of them. Yeah. And I think that would depend slightly on your market too. Like how, how much of a seller's market is it? If it's, if it's not much of a seller's market, you kind of can negotiate a few more yes. perks on your side. Right. True. Yeah. I actually had a guy offer it to me. I went to see his place off market. It was a mixed use. Uh, it ended up not being really a property I wanted to own because it was right on a main street, but he just came right out. He's like, yeah, man, I don't mind doing a VTB as long as you put in at least, uh, you know, $50,000, I'll do that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> educated seller. Because uh, yeah. I imagine, if, you know, if you've done it a few times, you've probably had to educate people on it once or twice. We have. We've had yeah. some deals fall apart by by trying to push for it. Um, it's one of those things where I, I know some investors, they've done almost all their deals with vendor take backs. Um, yeah, it's one of those things out there. It definitely is out there. And it's sometimes it's worth when you're putting offers out to go, okay, here's my all cash offer. Here's my offer with a vendor take back. And you can always like weight them differently is that the one with the vendor take back may be a little more appealing or maybe they're getting a higher purchase price or they're getting more of the terms out of the deal that they're looking for, right? So I used to always think that it was just price, price, price. But lots of times price is kind of secondary, right? Like price is important, but you know, the closing date and you know, if the, can they keep certain things in the house? Like a lot of those things are just as important as price because people attach monetary value to all those other things too. I absolutely agree. And in fact, I'm looking for people with a certain circumstance so that I can negotiate because yes. if, if price is all they care about, then odds are their property is not going to work for me because right. I'm, I'm looking to make money on the buy. So I need to be able to add value in some other way. You know, can I close really fast for you? Can I allow you to leave all your garbage in the house and not renovate, not clean and just leave? Yes, I can do these things. That's right. Um, well, you got to look for motivation. If there's no motivation on that other side, it makes negotiating an uphill battle, right? But when there is motivation on that other side, like I'm sure you've heard that like the six D's before the five, some people have five D's, six D's, seven D's, but no, tell um, me. Okay. So <laughs> there's um, typically when somebody is motivated, there's usually either issues personally in their life or there's issues with the property itself. And sometimes you get the perfect storm where they kind of collide together and you're getting both. So um, one thing that I teach some of the people that mentor under me is um, so there's death, uh, disease, divorce, uh, too much debt. They could be totally displaced. You know, they could have gotten relocated with work, um, um, moved moved uh, to a different city, and then they, they're stuck with this property. 
or they're just like a disgruntled landlord. Um, they're kind of like an accidental landlord sometimes. Like yeah. people, you know, two two people come together, they get married, they're like, oh, let's hold on to one of our properties and use it as a rental, and they don't have any training, they don't have the right personality to, to be a landlord, and they get fed up pretty easily. Um, I'm a big believer that there's no such thing as a bad tenant, just like an uneducated person behind the, the wheel of that property, right? So they, yeah. they haven't taken the time to learn anything about being a landlord or put the right person in that role. Um, it takes that manager type leader personality that can manage people and projects really well. So those are the six D's. And when, whenever I have an incoming call for somebody that wants to sell their property, we're usually looking for something along those lines. Right. And if you don't hear it, like for instance, I put out some signs and I got some calls and uh, you know, the lady basically says, Oh, well, you know, we just don't feel it's right to pay a realtor 6%. You know, it just feels wrong to me when we could just put a deal together with somebody off market. And I'm like, if that's your motivation and you just want to get top dollar, like, I don't want to waste my time. And I don't know how you handle those calls if you just put them to bed pretty quick. Yeah, like, well, we'll try to continue asking them a few more questions. Just, hey, what's your what's your sense of the value of your house? Because sometimes people are just, they're a couple of years behind on the on the value of their homes. But yeah, some people just like literally think we're just another alternative to, uh, you know, instead of just the hassle of going through multiple realtors and showings and all that kind of stuff, they can just, oh, we'll buy it for full price. Um, that's not necessarily the case. But, you know, we, we help people that, that have real estate problems. Yeah. Uh, we can help, you know, obviously what you're saying close quickly and all those other types of things, yeah. too. They think that's the value. Um, a friend of mine, I told this story before, but yeah, he just had uh, he had an opportunity to one of my leads, one of my flyer leads, I sent it to him because I was too busy to deal with it at the time. Uh, hindsight, that kind of sucks. But anyways, yeah. he got the deal of uh, 95000 for a semi-detached house in, in Hamilton, Whoa. if you can imagine. Um, and you, she just could not list. Um, he hasn't finished with it yet. He did close and he wanted the rental. I'm like, man, don't do that. Literally just close and sell it, like list it. It was worth like 170 right there. So he got it for, you know, 60% you know he could have just flipped it right back on the market and big time uh that would have been what i would have done there um but anyways he's renoing it probably will sell it for like 200 220 or 30 or something like that and make roughly what he would have if he had just uh flipped it right back on but hey all all the same she had to close had to close so and and he told her he's like well if you want more go list it like he he told her and she's like i want 180 he's like no that's not happening and finally he he says i gotta do 90 and she kept coming down 150 130 one 115 oh that's my final 115 hey i appreciate that but that's not gonna work and then finally uh they they compromised in 95k but she had to close by the end of that month and it's like well there's no way he sent her to three different realtors like yeah you can call any one of these ask them what they could do but by the time you list you know get offers conditions and then close three to three months later you know that's not meeting the timeline so yeah motivation is huge right it is and it's I, I like to tell people it's not just in real estate i mean it's it's in any type of business or commodity type thing out there um you want to get a cheap deal on a cell phone there's people out there that flip cell phones and people that need to sell sell their cell phone at a pawn shop um same with cars same with coins same with all kinds of different things that have value um, same with businesses. There's going to be people that are selling their businesses less than what they're worth, you know, because they are in a situation where they have to just cash out or they don't want to have anything to do with it. Maybe they inherited it um, and they just don't want to have anything to yeah. do with it anymore. Right. They want to. I think some people also just want to give a deal to the next person. They're like, hey, I got a good deal on this house back in the day. I want to leave some meat on the bone for the next person, too, which is always nice. So 
maybe you can guide me to finding that type of person. <laughs> They're out there. They're definitely out there. You know, I, th I think there's different personality types, right? There's some people out there that literally will fight tooth and nail to get every single penny out of their property. Sometimes they end up dying on their own sword though. You know, it's just their, our strengths can also become our weaknesses sometimes. So if you're really, you know, just a negotiator about everything, like you're going to actually turn people off in the process. Yeah. I think a fair deal, a fair enough deal is a fair enough deal. If everybody's getting what they need out of the situation, great, do the deal. Okay, so for some context, one, in your rental portfolio, what are you up to now in terms of numbers of doors? Uh, we are over 60 doors. And uh, once our church project is renovated um, or finished, that's going to get us up to 100 real quick. So. Oh, and you're keeping it? Okay, I, I saw a video on Matt McKeever's channel, uh, you talking about that one. So Yeah, yeah. So we, we've literally been, you know, so maybe for people background here, um, we bought a 12,000 square foot building, a uh, former church in Sarnia, and we converted it to uh, get approval for multifamily uh, construction. So we're going to put uh, somewhere between 32 and 35 apartments in it. Okay. So it's going to be a big project and it's going to grow from 12,000 square feet to probably 24,000 square feet with the additions and blown off the roof and going up an extra story. So it's a lot that's of awesome. Yeah. Okay. So since we are on this uh, topic, well, um, just before we get into it, cause I want to talk about development cause it's always an interesting topic. Uh, it doesn't come up that often. Um, uh, people who are actively doing it on this show. So when I get the opportunity, I want to, uh, but just on the note before we get, uh, get onto that, um, what are you doing to generate leads for properties in your business? What's your strategy to find good flips? I know that's not the main thing you're doing, but you did mention to me before we got on the podcast that you are, you are lining up a flip right now. So you'll, yes. you'll do one or, you know, one here and there. Obviously I, I would assume a guy such as yourself is making money on the buy. Yes. So what are your strategies right now to find deals? Sure. So, and keep in mind, you know, for people that are listening, like I've been doing this for 13 years now. So, um, a lot of the work that I've done in the past is still returning dividends, right? So I'm a big believer of building relationships with people that would have access to these leads and not making real estate your dirty little secret, you know, actually being okay talking about it with your friends and family and on social media once in a while, I think is important. Um, because frankly, Hey, people are busier than ever. And we don't have an, as much time, especially me with like four kids at home. I don't have enough, as much time as I used to, to be going out to all the social events or, um, you know, now it's like I do, either do stuff with my family or like I try to prioritize like real estate meetup type things. There's really not a whole lot of in between. Like I don't have a gym membership. I'm, I'm basically go in my basement. I got a full setup. I work at, I'm done, you know? So, um, not making it your dirty little secret. So not being afraid to let people know what you're doing and doing the work, right? Like one of the best things that people can do is literally make three phone calls every day to just people, either, you know, people that touch real estate, other realtors, um, home inspectors, property managers, junk collectors. Um, I just got a lead the other day from my HVAC guy. He's like, Oh, I've, you know, I've done some of your furnaces in your homes, Corey, like you do really nice quality renovations. And I have a gentleman who's looking to retire and sell his property. His son doesn't want it. And it's kind of at the same standards as you. So I would feel bad connecting him to somebody that would just kind of run it in the ground. Like he would want to have some kind of a legacy of someone that's going to keep it in the same way. Right. So got a lead there. Um, but we're also doing some other things to generate our own leads like, um, flyers and ads and, and things like that too. So, okay. Like online ads, yeah, Facebook and such. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, hear a lot of people are doing that. So that's something I got to tap into as well. Yeah, but I literally just keep like a box of flyers in my car. If I see a house that needs 
you know, some work, we just, I just pull over and drop it. Like you're right there anyways. It doesn't take that much longer to jump out of your car, drop a flyer. So you just drop it in their mailbox. Yeah. 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 That's another one. I've actually, I was just talking to uh, Rob Brake the other day and he was saying that was one of the most productive things he ever did was just, he'd always have flyers with him. He'd bought a house that, that was rough and jump out of his car, throw a flyer. He's like, that one needs a flyer. Yes. Big time, man. And, and it's also something that's easily outsourceable too. So I've taught people before that wanted to work for me and learn real estate. I'm just like, okay, well, one of the things I'm going to do is pay by the hour. We're just going to, I'm going to teach you how to drive for dollars and just go look for these opportunities. We usually break them into three categories, like, um, cause we're looking for those six D's, right? So typically if there's issues with a property, you're going to see more than like one issue with the property. So you're going to see like it needs a roof, windows, landscaping is messed up, a uh, broken down car on the front lawn, um, drunk on the front lawn, you know? So if it, if it hits like, let's say four of those things, we'd say that's like an A category. Like that's an A plus lead. So there's probably something going on in that house. Cause if you're letting the outside of your house go, there's probably issues on the inside and there's probably issues in your bank account everything else too there's, there's usually got to be an issue or reason for deferred maintenance right like if they're not taking care of their property yeah, yeah like there's some sort of breakdown going on inside the house too right? yeah or they, they thought hey getting a house was great when their house was turnkey and then 10 years later it's like yeah all these big cash call items start to come up um so we'd say that that's a that's a good lead um something that's like a medium type lead would be maybe it only hits two or three of those things and we still make a note of it if we see one big cash item like let's say if a house just needs a roof like still roofs are like five to fifteen thousand dollars depending on the size and the pitch so we still make a note of that um it's even if the house is boarded up like literally we dropped it we dropped a flyer um, at a house with boards on the windows um it looked like there was a fire there and we got a phone call we negotiated with the fellow we ended up buying the house for five grand crazy serious yeah in canada it was a burnt out shell but you know there was still a lot of value there like we could have torn down the house I think the owner was was playing with this too. Like I could tear down the house that would cost me 15 or 20 grand and then sell it for land value, which in that part of town, it just wasn't worth as much if it was like a half kilometer further to the north, right? So he's like, I don't want to tear down a house just to sell it and make very little money. So he got a payday though from his from his insurance company for 210,000 um, and then just whatever you get for the rest of your house in this current state that it's in, you get to keep so he's like he already won the lottery he felt like he'd been paid already yep yeah yep and he could have went through the whole process taken a year and worked with you know a restoration company to rebuild it it would probably be worth about 240 he's like all that work to have a triplex again that i have to manage and he's like i'm just done i got 210,000. i'm happy so whatever i get for the house is a bonus so he started off at 40,000, 30,000, 2010 we got him down to five wow yeah that's amazing but we built the relationship with him right yeah. just took multiple visits and you know getting in rapport with them and talking his language and making yeah. sure you're you're related to the person is important i wish i'd done that with uh, a friend of mine's mother a uh, real estate investor from back in the day in london somebody drove a truck into her rental property on uh, in london wow i'm not going to give the exact location but uh you know he, he brought it up and i'm like i know that house i'm like Tell her to sell it to me. I'll just take it over. Because he asked me, he's like, oh, my mom's thinking about rebuilding. The house got hit. I'm like, what was the address? And uh, sure enough, same property. And I, you know, I said, hey, I'd be comfortable paying this to him. But I never actually met or spoke with her directly, which is obviously the problem, right? I should have got a, got in a room. But long and short of it is it's been like two years and she's still trying to settle with the insurance company and oh, wow. and dealing with bylaws and, and trying to rebuild. And, no, it's challenging. Uh, I, had a, I had my own yeah. 
triplex catch fire a couple of years ago and that was that was yeah. interesting to rebuild it so going through going through that process and, and especially if you're in an area where you're non-conforming how is the how will the municipality handle that and can you rebuild what was there can you rebuild something a little bit better yes. um and you you obviously would want to take advantage of an opportunity we did yes yeah so you were able to we were yeah so we had the we had a triplex um we added really steep uh, pitch roof right so we flattened out the roof and we raised the roof yeah so because we we're losing four feet all the way around the upper apartment so that that upper apartment used to be a pretty small one bedroom we turned it into a really good size three bedroom and then the back was a really small one bedroom we uh, we decided to do an addition on the back and add two two uh large bedrooms so it went from like a almost like a bachelor it was a one bedroom but you might as well call it a bachelor and it's a good size two bedroom now so we added like how many square feet to the house 800 square feet um using a lot of it was just like insurance money because while you're there like it's just a little bit of extra drywall to do certain things right oh, so yeah. I, I had to contribute probably about eighty thousand. but when you have a chance to build at a hundred dollars a square foot i mean that's that's great that's amazing so the insurance company was, was okay they, they said we'll pay this much anything you do beyond that is on you yeah that's okay yeah so we took the money we put some of our own money in um, but we, we had our own challenges like when we went to do the addition in the backyard it triggered a archaeological assessment which a lot of municipalities in the in the province had that uh, have that, and that's when they literally want to come out and inspect what's in the ground. So they'll do these test holes, like one foot by three feet, if they find any significant material, like broken paw, uh, broken um, you know plates and cups, and um, so they found a 1940s smoke pipe, and that triggered. They're like, oh, this is significant. Now that triggers a phase two. You know, phase one was only about two thousand or twenty five hundred bucks. Phase two was six grand. And like three or four months, maybe even six months of waiting. It just got held up for so long. I'm like, I don't mind cutting the check, but like, can we speed this up at all? Like it sits on the municipality's desk. They're short staffed. There's only a few people that deal with this stuff. So yeah, that's the heritage, any of that stuff, environmental, you get into those issues and they can, they can really kill your profits fast. If you're paying private money, they can, they can. That's why I always tell people, you got to have reserves. You got to make sure that you're buying profitable real estate because these things will happen. And if you're if you're paying full price, you know, then you're literally having to work a day job just to pay the meter to make some of these deals work. And you don't want that. So, yeah, absolutely. So just jumping back to this, uh, this little shell you bought for five grand, because uh, that is the cheapest property I've ever heard being bought in Canada. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> and uh, what did what did you do? Um, we actually didn't even close on it. So we tied it up for two weeks. And that's when I just started ringing the phone, seeing, you know, who would buy it as a reno. So I, I ended up selling it to a lo- another local investor, even though looking back, there probably would have been other people that paid me a little bit more. So I just made a, a really quick $10,000 wholesale fee. It's not I bad knew the next person. Yeah. You know, for like, do the math. I was making about a thousand dollars an hour on that. And, um, I wanted to make sure the next investor, cause they basically had to rebuild the whole house. Right. So I want to make sure, okay, that you're not starting from behind the starting line. Let's make sure that you have a even playing field here to, to do it, do it right and make it profitable. That's so. kind of you. I, I know that, uh, not all wholesalers will do that. You know, a lot of wholesalers just want, want every last dime they can get out of it. Right. And, yeah. and there's usually a buyer for it regardless. So true. True. And sometimes their deals die too. So it's just like, man, why didn't you just take less and actually do a deal? Like I remember my first wholesale deal, I only made a thousand bucks and I'm like, I learned a lot. Um, and I'm glad I did it. So to me, that was just, a great experience and now i've taken that to make you know multitudes more so yeah oh that's awesome 
Okay, so let's let's jump over to the uh, the church now because I've been uh, seeing some of your videos on Matt's channel. I've been seeing some of your stories, and I know um, I know that uh, that you've been into development, and you're starting to look at you know more longer term plays probably because the cash flow is taken care of by your portfolio you're not worried about that yeah like i don't have to work a day job anymore so i do what i like to do in life which is great and i have done some bigger renovations so i've done like 200 300 000 type renovations and this lead kind of fell into our lap um me and my realtor in sarnia we were looking to do something bigger anyways we're like let's start looking at 12 plexes 16 you know 24 some of these like smaller type buildings that the REITs aren't looking at you know it's kind of like that in between it's too big for most investors too small for the REITs let's kind of look in that in that band and we weren't getting accepted on different deals that were coming up and frankly there's not a lot of those deals in my hometown anyway so um, this church just came up you know through his network and he just said look um it was it was pretty close to his his uh, basically his father in law uh, had the connection so he's like look um, I wanted to, you know we've been wanting to do a partnership for a while anyways so this is a great opportunity and um, churches don't typically sell for a lot because they they understand that there's going to be a lot of money involved in just doing anything significant with it so I got it for a really good price and it's it's going to be a lot of money though like it's yeah. it's a four million dollar renovation. Okay, so let's start with the uh, the acquisition cost on the building. Sure. What were you uh, What were you into? So we bought it for one fifty or one fifty five. Thousand. Yes. Oh, okay. So yeah, Pretty that is crazy. a small little one. Well, it's a big building though, right? And it's um, it didn't go on the market. So again, off market deal. And it's in Sarnia. It's in Sarnia. Okay. And uh, lot size, just for context, you know roughly how big big of a space that is. We're on about. I think we're about three quarters of an acre three quarters of an acre okay yeah but the the value came when we changed the zoning so just by changing the zoning because right then it was for some reason the church was zoned as a duplex i think it's because oh, it wasn't they, even zoned for like church use well it was a church but it also had r2 zoning i think it's because the church was built in two uh two phases okay. they built a big addition three years later that were sunday school rooms and there's a gymnasium and stuff so somehow they had r2 zoning but we had to change that to we had to actually get a special zoning designation for multifamily in that part of town. It was like an R five dash something, you know, because it was basically a custom zoning just for what we were looking to do. So we they had, created that for you. Yeah, and we had some exceptions on parking allowances and this and that. Yeah. So we had to get some variances on. How long of a process was that? From so you you bought it not knowing for sure what you'd get because you never know with development. You can you can think. Uh, how long of a process was it from when you took possession of the property to when you had the zoning changed? Yeah, great question. So we got started right away. So as soon as we went firm on the deal, I believe that was in July, late June or early July of last year, we just got started right away. So we're like, we're not actually physically closing on this building until August. Mm-hmm. But the church was great. They let us come in and do measurements and, you know, have other you know engineers and stuff take a look at the building. Um, and we would learn a ton throughout the process too, right? We're, I mean, we're getting samples. Is there asbestos in the wall? Is that going to increase our price to doing construction and all these other things, right? So, um, and we wanted to get the zoning changed before the city council changed over. So there's going to be a big, there was a big city council um, changing of the guard. And that was in September. So literally within three months, the city didn't think we could get it all turned around, but we did because it's more challenging to find some of these engineers and contractors in the summer to do their studies and surveys. Everything was like three to 5,000. 
Oh, you want a traffic study? 3,500, 3,500, 5,000, you know. So, so were you doing it in conjunction with a site plan? So you were proposing a site, a site plan application with a zoning change all in conjunction? Yeah. Yeah, we, we had our pre-meeting. So we sat down with the city. They supported the they supported the project. So we're like, okay, we're going to go just start cutting checks. And they gave us the path. Here's your checklist. These are things you need to do to get to your September 26th um, public hearing meeting. And uh, it was funny because the same day there was a really hot topic property that came up. It was like some wood field lot near the lake that some developer was proposing to cut down all the trees and develop houses on it. And my gosh, the birds and the frogs and the yeah. snakes are going to be affected. So it was a packed house. It was super intimidating. I'm glad that we brought our, <clears throat> our planner that day to do all the speaking for us. So we're like, look, you've already written all the report for us. How about you do the talk for us? And we can just kind of say, hi. Yeah. We're so here. it was a public site plan hearing. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's not always the case. Usually those are, are no, sometimes delegated. just like council chambers or whatever, yeah. but this was a, it was a big wow. thing. You know, we're converting yeah. a church into apartment buildings, right? So, yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with it, site plan approval is, a, uh, what you have to go through if you want to intensify use of land. In most cases, if you, you know, if you want to build a, an apartment building, they, they want to know everything, you know, can, do we have sewage capacity? Do, you know, do our, can our roads handle this? Uh, you know, what's it going to look like and how does that fit with the neighborhood? And I'm sure they asked you a million other questions yeah, as well. What do the neighbors think of it too? Right. So it also goes to anybody can submit a complaint and, um, we're really glad that we did our community engagement. So we literally went around, knocked on doors. We had flyers for people to let them know, because as soon as the, the church did their last service, all these rumors started, started to spread like, oh, it's going to be a, a homeless shelter. It's going to be a meth clinic. It's going to be, you know, all these things that people just start talking. They, they have no idea. So we had to educate, we had an open house, um, we got renderings done so we could show people what we want to do, right? Again, another three to $5,000 for these renderings, but it's, all, it's, just is, part right? of the, it's just part of the deal. I remember trying to do a, a duplex um, tear down and build, to, uh, take a single family down, build a duplex and, you know, had to get an engineer stamped drainage plan. You know, and by the oh, time wow. you do that, now you're into a few thousand bucks for that survey with, you know, survey a few thousand bucks. Yes. <laughs> um, everything, like you said, ends up being that way. Um, did you pay an urban planner as well? I believe we did. Yes. Yeah. Just for some advice and oversight. And, but it sounds like you guys kind of handled the process. Yeah. Like we actually what we did hire was a retired um, planner that used to work for the city of London. And then he was doing some freelance work in Sarnia. So we, we definitely had people in our corner <clears throat> and I highly recommend if people, if you're ever doing something that's out of your comfort zone, just go find an A player in that industry. Cause even when I was rebuilding my triplex that caught fire, I worked with a planner who had been doing this for like 30 years in London. He just knew everybody at city hall. Like he would just, even if his paperwork, if there was like some errors in it, they'd just be like, Oh, Hey, you missed something. You'd be like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me just change it right now. At least it's in, it's sub submitted. Um, he knows the right, he knows the right people and he knows to right, ask the right questions. And if you're not getting the answer you want, it's like, oh, do you mind if I speak to so-and-so and just, you know, let's all come together on this and just lots of times it's just a difference of opinions and you just yeah. got to get, get everybody on board. So yeah, there can be lots of difference opinions of opinions in, in uh, municipal government, I've noticed. <laughs> yes, yes. And whenever people are, ask me for advice and they're like, oh, the city said this, I'm like, you know what, call back tomorrow and ask for a different person and you'll probably get a different answer and yeah. look for the golden thread. There's probably going to be commonalities to what they're saying. <laughs> yep. I uh, I had, uh, so a friend of mine and I both went in to do, uh, we wanted to build a second unit on the back of our, our existing building. Okay. And we were given X number, like you have a 40% uh 
allowance you can build 40 percent of the existing gross floor area in the existing building so i wanted to get close to a thousand square feet i was pushing it trying to push it so i wanted to do the furnace room outside of the unit because that had been a way to sneak around the rule so you could yeah, add you the furnace room ex- it yeah, wouldn't steal furnace it wouldn't steal from your your allowable floor area well i apparently went on the wrong day and the wrong guy saw mine he's like oh we don't allow that anymore my friend literally went after me and they they threw up a stink like he's he like talked to everybody he's like if he comes in here you don't let him do this i'm like are you kidding me oh wow <laughs> and then uh my friend came in after me got his in no problem you know it's just one day another could be different it's the same thing with lenders right you could have one person from one bank say no go to a different person in that bank and get a yes i've had it happen i know yeah so you got persistence is worth something it isn't sometimes having someone in your corner that'll just go do the fighting for you um they've already done the fight 30 40 times and sometimes it's worth paying them a couple thousand bucks to just yeah figure out a way to get it done absolutely so i want to and I, I really love that that advice. The the paying the expert, I think, is a gold nugget on this episode. Yeah, sometimes people are just like so close-fisted or trying to lone wolf it themselves. And um, I've always been a big believer of like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to, to write the check for the right person. Do your due diligence, obviously. Don't just um, bring anybody on your team. But you'll go further faster if you can just... Um, jump through the hoops a lot quicker, right? And if you're trying to, yes, you should educate yourself. You should be competent in these things and you should have an understanding of it. But I didn't want to become an expert planner when we were doing some of this stuff at the church, but I understood um, conceptual level what we were trying to do, which is important, so. Absolutely. Okay, so what did you end up spending on the planning costs? I'm assuming you're done that part now. Oh man, Um, yeah, the initial planning costs are done. So I think we spent about $50,000 there. That's actually low compared to, so what i thought it might have been yeah like a permit was 5400 bucks um it permit was, for the whole renovation build oh sorry that was that was the cost not the permit that was the uh the cost to do a zoning change oh zoning okay zoning yeah. change yeah so that was our initial so now we've actually got approval um we were waiting for months and months and months to do um our first model was going to be affordable housing so there was some grant money out there and there were some great mortgage terms that we could get if we went the affordable housing model. And um, we didn't get any of the county money because you had to be uh, partnered up with like a local organization, like let's say Community Living or March of Dimes or something of that nature. Um, we wanted to keep it private because ha- we have heard some horror stories of just like, you know, you, you open it up to an organization and then you're waiting for months until they bring you someone to fill one of your units. And it's like, this is not a charity like we're, we're operating this to make profit okay so you you decided not to do that you kept it just regular rental well as even far then as we finished. tried to apply for the cmhc um affordable housing mortgage programs and they're pretty favorable they're like 50 or ams the interest rate rates were super low like 1.7 1.8 percent um you do have to do like 80 to 90 percent of market rents for 15 to 20 years um, but when you do the math, it all made sense. And then they, they didn't approve our application because they're like, oh, the vacancy rate in Sarnia is too high. So more of this money is going out towards Toronto and places that have a really low vacancy rate and they need the units. Gotcha. Like, okay, it would have been nice to know that maybe six months ago and four phone calls ago when we were engaging you guys, yeah. you could have just let us know like the big, the big uh, pendulum is vacancy rate. So I don't think your properties or your project's going to get approved. Um, so now we're just going to do it conventionally, do it all ourselves. And, um, yeah, so we're going to be paying even more planning to get, you know, tweak our design and stuff a little bit more because we were doing it with like barrier free and some of these other things, which we may not do as much now. So, 
Okay, so you, so purchase 150, planning 50,000 so far, yeah. and that included the zoning change? That included the zoning change. And then, so now you're gonna have more planning, and, and more planning. permitting, all that stuff. Uh, so what do you think you're looking Permitting, at for the rest of it? Fees. Um, it's, we just know like our, our build out cost is like right now it's sitting at 3.8. Including those fees? Million. Yeah. On top of what you've paid already. Yeah. Okay. So, but the value at the end of the day, it's going to be worth 5 million at least. So maybe, I like the maybe numbers. low fives. So, so purchase 150, planning 50, 3.8 million to, to build and, and get to that stage to get to fully finished. Yeah. And uh, is there an HST implication here? I am not sure. But okay, so let's we won't go there for now. Handle that. Yeah, we'll keep it so. simple. Uh, okay, so the so then you're in for let's just see here, just over four, four million. And the cool part is yeah. that when they were figuring out their build costs, our price per square foot. Some people are really focused on price per square foot, right? When you build a new house, I mean, it's hard to build a new house under two hundred dollars a square foot um so our additions any, anywhere we're creating brand new square footage outside of the existing shell we got our price per square foot down to like i think it's like 150 160 mm-hmm. and then within the shell it's like a hundred dollars a square foot so it's it's great um savings there so that's because some people are just like why don't you just tear it down and start over again we're like there's got to be value in the shell it's really boxy it, it looks a lot like a like a high school Okay. Yeah, that's, that helps. And I, I think renovation costs, like people have asked me, like, what does it cost to renovate versus, you know, do, do new construction? And it's a hard thing to answer because it really depends oh, on, on so the, the status of that current building. Like what, how bad is it? If it's sometimes it's, it's nothing. It's a walk in the park. It's some, some paint and some drywall mud and, you know, take out this wall. And other times it it could be much, much more than that. You'd hope not. Yeah. And the bigger the project, there's more scale there. There's some economies in the, in the numbers. Definitely. We we chose a really good value uh, company that, I mean, the prices were all over the board plus or minus like $3 million. And we're like, okay, this one's to do the reno. Yeah. This one's too low. This one's probably scary. This one is like probably a number like that's a, I don't want to do it kind of number, but I'll do it if I'm going to make multiple millions of dollars doing it. And then these, this company, they, they do like 45 of these projects a year. We went to their office and we saw a map and we're like, are all those pins like your past projects? And they're like, no, that's our, that's our current projects. Like we have a lot on the go right now. We're like, yeah, you guys, you guys are a good fit for this. So nice. And okay. So regarding this project, so 4 million all in, does that include financing costs or you got a financing on top of that? Um, it's gonna be a pretty quick build. So, you know, financing, like we're looking at six months, so. I guess financing would be on top of that. Okay, so maybe we'll allow a couple hundred grand for for financing or a hundred grand maybe. What do you think? Yeah, what's the math on that real quick here? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be just over a hundred grand. Like not crazy bad. Depends on the the interest rate we got. But at 6% for half a year, we're looking at 120 grand. Okay. And uh, let's just total this up. So so you're 4.1 million in. You figure your total value is 5 million. Uh, What do you think you're going to do for financing at the end of that? We're going to go for, you know, conventional type multifamily. Will you do like a, try and do like a CMHC insured 85% loan to value? We've thought about it, you know, and, and there are those programs out there. Um, at the end of the day, I think we have to weigh the pros and cons because right now, just by changing the zoning of the property, it went from what we bought it for. Like we've got about, you know, 200 or 220 into it right now. Um, it's worth more like five or $600,000. So that's a good chunk of our equity there, which helps. Um, 
me and my business part, we're open to either option. Okay, so you've got some options there. I think the real takeaway here is, as you've got at least from what looks like from today's estimations, you've got $900,000 of equity you've created. So you said something earlier, which I think is really impactful. And that's, I had a, I was $1,000 an hour on that, that deal. Have you looked at this project and sort of calculated what your time is equating to into this project and how, how worthwhile it is? We, we should have, um, there's been so many, uh, there's been so many hours involved and I guess I should have been tracking it like a lawyer. Um, we knew it was going to be a, a good deal to begin with. And if we, if it didn't make sense for us, we knew we could have, first of all, either we had just a big building that we could have turned into, you know, a gym or our own office or just a place for our kids to play in or, try to revive it as a, as a church. I've got some friends that are running churches. Um, so we just knew that we had so many different options that it was almost like a no lose type scenario. You know, when you have that little in, like, I think it was like $12 a square foot that we paid for it. Oh, that's incredible at 150 who wouldn't buy it. I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a lower risk approach because you're in for about 200 grand on something to find out if it's going to work to turn into something that's 5 million. Yeah. And that's, that's the key with development. I think a lot of people, I do get this question sometimes. I was just speaking with someone yesterday about development and, you know, what to do, what to look for. And and I've looked at a lot of stuff from a development standpoint. And the, the conclusion I often come to is it's just not going to be profitable by the time I factor in the financing, by the time you factor in everything. Like you'll find guys ready to sell their their piece of land for two million. I know. When even if you took that land for free, you would have a hard time making a profitable deal. So that's right. You got to you really got to know how to evaluate these deals and be in this is why i think it's best if you can be into a situation where it works there's a plan b there's a decent plan b there's a decent plan c if it doesn't work out the way you want it to with development yeah and i don't mind taking some risk right but i always want to make sure before i buy any kind of property that there's multiple exit strategies like i bought 10 acres of uh, raw land in sarnia it's brownfield so we know that we have to clean it up and mitigate it before we can do anything with it but I just thought, you know what, we could do 34 building lots if we could develop the whole thing, or we could do the, the front, the backs onto the road where there wasn't any brownfield land and just seal off the rest and say it's going to be a park. We could just do one big building lot. Yeah. We could just do one big playground for my kids. You know, we could wait till the technology gets cheap enough where they can literally, they can already, they already have this, the technology where they can scan the earth just like a fish finder in the water. They can do that. You know, it's about 15 grand a day. They can scan the earth, find the hot spots then you know exactly where you have to do your, your, your remediation work. Right. So, oh, okay. So that cost of technology is going to keep coming down and down. Um, so it's one of those things where we did get it cheap enough that we can hold it and just wait. Right. So, well, yeah, it never hurts to be hanging on the land, especially with the way our government keeps changing and adding incentives to add new units. Right. Like if you had a property, like I have properties that have extra room in the backyard and now uh, the new the new bill that was passed should be allowing a third unit. I might be able to to build, uh, you know, I, right now I could I'm looking at a potential to maybe be able to build two units onto the back of my student rentals. That's right. That'd be kind of cool. Getting the, it's just a matter of getting the cost of construction down, right? That's, that's and the, as things are happening, like there's literally like 3D construction and they're like 3D printing, um, not 3D, 3D printing you know, homes in like a day or two, right. Out of like interesting materials. So, you know, it's, it, hopefully it will get cheaper with technology. Cause right now just to pay the trades to come in, like with the cost of wood and metal and everything, it's getting very expensive. It's, it's gotten insane. So I was able to build townhouses for around 110 a square foot, 2016 to 2018. And this new project I'm working on now, I budgeted about 140 a yep. square foot. 
and that jump. doesn't include anything outside all the servicing all the work outside is on top of that that's just the building yes and um yeah i mean and i'm i'm pretty efficient like there's you could pay a lot more than that oh big time yeah that's it's good pricing it's it's pretty concerning um the way things have gone you know framing that project six dollars and fifty cents a square foot was the most i paid six to six fifty now quotes are starting 10 to 12 bucks you're, you're doing well if you're getting a 12 dollar quote wow isn't that insane it is <laughs> how it does is. that happen in, in two to three years and then on top of that the lumber has gone up you know 60 percent. so i'm looking i always look at the economic drivers right if i'm trying to predict what's going to happen in the housing market well if it's getting that much more expensive to build new you know that resale has to go up in value too that's right and then that's why ontario is in this crazy crisis right now of I know. how do we have housing when it costs so much to build and how many how many townhouses are you doing so right now i'm doing blocks of five five cool so blocks of five the, that project from before was um blocks of anywhere from six to eight yep with a one of them had a really big cinder block firewall in the middle which wasn't fun coordination wise no kidding um have you looked into any metal framing like skeleton framing or anything like that because i was I actually looking at development up in collingwood and it was 30 30 units doing it in blocks of five to ten and they said yeah you should look into this technology right so it might be a little more expensive but you save time wise like literally the guys are just it's like putting lego together yeah yeah and, and so i mean i think this is a valuable discussion for anyone listening you know there are new, there's new technology coming around all the time talk to different contractors find out what are different options they have because some of them might have access to a strategy that that may allow you to to build something that wouldn't have otherwise worked so you know, keep your ear to the ground. Go go to meetups, talk to people, find out what they're doing. Like for sure, that's that's always what I'm trying to do because you get, never know when you might get that little gold nugget. Oh, there's literally people building buildings out of uh, you know, there's a lady in Edmonton. She's doing them out of sea canisters, right? They're all yeah. prefabbed in their factory, and they just bring them in. Sea them canisters. Ha- yeah, they literally blow out the walls in between them, so they can actually get like open concept and all that sort of stuff. It's oh, it's you, like shipping cool. containers. Like, yeah. Oh, containers. yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen that. Although I've like run the numbers on that, and I didn't really think it would actually end up being cheaper by the time you plummet and run electrical. Yeah, it's and good do for like that. maybe just like an infill house, yeah. but not probably for townhouses. So yeah, we're we're really nerding out on construction right now. That's right. So, um, Corey. What would you want to share? Um, you know, I know we've covered uh, in a development, your rental portfolio a little bit, some of your numbers. Is there anything else you would you know want to share with our listeners and viewers? I think one of the biggest things I try to echo out there is, um, you know, obviously take it upon yourself to be a sponge and learn as much as you can about real estate. There's so many different rabbit holes you can go down, but pick the one that makes sense that really speaks for your personality. You know, if someone's like a real social person, then maybe, hey, maybe Airbnb is for you because you like to meet all the tenants and there's that constant turnover and stuff like that. For someone like you or I, they're really numbers focused, like, hey, burring things and, and, you know, buying something undervalued and fixing it up or buying something to be a potential development for profit. That's a good fit. Um, but I think the big key is patience and, uh, you know, take it upon yourself to become the expert in that strategy that you do choose. Because mm-hmm. with patience and when you work on your base knowledge and your fundamentals, you know, you, you're you not building a, you're learning on a, on a uh, house of cards, right? So you have a strong foundation, you can go really far with it. If you have limited knowledge and you're not willing to spend the time to go out to the meetup groups and learn from the different people and listen to these podcasts, then you're not going to go too far, right? So be patient pick the right strategy for you and learn as much as you can be an expert in that strategy. Yeah. And I think that that's a great point. And, and to take it one further, like look at the different 
you know, key figures in different areas out there and decide, yeah, what parts of what they do do I like and what parts don't I like, right? You don't have to wholeheartedly follow everything someone does. If they do A, B, and C well and you don't really like the way they're doing D, D you know, and F, what you can just pick and choose what, you, what works, right? But make sure that it works holistically as an approach. Definitely. So. We, we can learn something from everybody out there and you can pick and choose what you want to implement in your own portfolio for sure. So what's next for you? Next for me, well, really looking forward to getting through some of these bigger projects that we're taking on. And I think it's going to get to a point where, you know, if I were to look at my real estate investing career, I'm probably already a good part of the way up, up the mountain. And it's going to get to a point where how much is, is, is enough, right? Like how much more do you need? Um, cause if I were to sell off my portfolio right now, so we're over $10 million, I could just go and lend that money and be just a money lender. Right. So that's pretty cool. Do you think you get net 10, 10 out of it or your te, te, 10 um, overall asset value? No, 10 overall asset value. We're probably 50% profit in that right now. So okay. doing pretty well. I think it'll get to a point where we're definitely already starting to sell off some of our smaller holdings. We're questioning some of the things that we've had for 10 years. Does it still make sense in our portfolio? And um, so we're either getting into bigger deals now, bigger developments, or probably money lending in the future. Yeah, money lending. Because people say that income properties are passive, but they're, you're, creating, you're creating a job and a business for yourself. You can systemize them, but you still have to be the person at the steering wheel leading the ship. And um, you know, if all I had to do is write checks and make sure that there were good deals, that would probably be a little bit more passive yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. I like that you said that. a little bit more. Even that's not passive, right? You're still going to do a couple of things. Uh, there still could be situations where you have to collect, so to speak. Yes. And um, it is more passive. But I think that people are mistaking themselves if they don't see themselves in a, as an entrepreneur. If you're a real estate investor, you're an entrepreneur. It's not just set it and forget it. And people who think that end up really regretting getting into it. Oh, for sure. And sometimes they they hit the lottery when they first get their first turnkey property and they get a great tenant. They're like, oh, this is easy. It's like, well, yeah, you kind of had the perfect storm of, you know, you did win the lottery in the beginning. It's not always going to be like that. You just pulled a really good card in the beginning. There's going to be some challenging cards. There's 52 cards in a deck. So yeah, I pulled all the challenging ones to start. So it's good though. You learn, <laughs> I had right? no misconceptions that it was easy. Uh, yes. Actually, maybe I did for the first little bit and then I you know, truly regretted that. But, uh, I think, you know, those moments are, are, those are tuition. Oh, you learn way more from those moments. Like you, you don't, you don't learn very much when everything's going your way. That's How for sure. much do you wish that we had a true post-secondary institution in Canada that taught real strategies to build wealth? Like how cool would that be if it, if it was a true institution that actually had a course on, money mindset and how, how to think about money and how to invest what investments do and don't work how real Huge. estate's different how how you you can play the game and take advantage of inflation and how money money loses its value by leveraging like if we were taught this stuff how different would our society be i think the government would be pretty scared um <laughs> they'd be pretty you know, screwed how are they going to tax all this that's right <laughs> find a way to tax it all <laughs> that's right but you know for sure i mean people reach out to me for mindset i just spoke yeah. on a stage a couple of weeks about just about mindset they don't teach that in school they don't teach they're not even teaching cursive anymore they're not teaching how to write a check i had a 26 year old person um rent one of my units she worked for td bank this was about eight years ago. She didn't know how to write a check. You know, it's just like, yeah. I know e-transfers are probably, or I had to teach her how to write a check and I also had to teach her how to do an e-transfer. So um, it's just the financial literacy is so low. But again, our reach is so big now too for things like you. They can listen to your podcast. They can learn, right? They can, they can take their spare time instead of binging on Netflix. They can actually learn about yeah. becoming wealthy, which is awesome. 
Yes. And, and on that note, I would say for people who like this conversation is like a little high up there and, you know, we're kind of talking about some more advanced concepts, go back to the beginning because like the first 10 episodes just focus on Burr and like the basic concept, which is where I don't know if you would agree, is that where, where you would say people start? If you're going to real estate invest and you're coming in with minimal capital, is the Burr strategy where you would recommend somebody start? Burr strategy is really good. Um, I like Airbnb now. Like, I mean, I'm, I literally met a lady last year and her son was 14 at the time and he's Airbnb at his bedroom and his parents were okay with it because they had to agree, right? It's their house. He goes and sleeps on the couch. He Airbnb is at his room for 50, 60 bucks a night and he's making money. You know, he doesn't have to be a homeowner, right? And I'm sure there's younger kids out there too doing it. So you're um, talking about the re-rental strategy where you find something rented out and then you put it on Airbnb? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you don't have to be a physical homeowner to do it. Um, you could, you know, do a master lease and then just get permission from the landlord to do it. Um, there's so many opportunities out there. You could wholesale, you could find deals, you could bird dog for somebody else. But the bird strategy is very powerful. If you can learn the bird, the bird strategy, um, you're buying properly, you're renovating properly, you're putting the right people in the building. Um, you're doing like things favorable in the terms of the bank, and then you can wash, rinse, repeat. You can bring on a money partner once you get maxed out, yeah. keep doing the same kind of strategy. Um, and it's, it's an invaluable skill. If you can take the burst strategy to different parts of your life, uh, or business, you know, all of a sudden you're getting a higher multiple when you go to sell your business, you know, yeah. it's important, right. To be able to create value out of something, is very important. A lot of people just expect value. They're like, oh, I did the, you know, I did some of the work. Can I get all the value? It's like, no, you have to actually go through all the steps and follow the systems to, to unlock the true value. That's how life works, right? Well, the opportunity though, to add value there is huge, right? Because in, not everything in, is going to have the right opportunity. No, not everything will, right? But when you're, when you're adding rental income, if you can make a tenant, if you satisfy their need for value and they love your place, now they're willing to pay more. Now you've created a more valuable asset because it can earn more and Yes. And yeah, like you said, you got to complete that work and you'll know if you didn't because you don't rent it out. Therefore, you don't get the higher income. You don't get the refinance. Um, there's a good feedback system involved. Oh, yeah. The marketplace <laughs> will tell you. Yeah. Everything will tell you <laughs> very quickly whether you're doing it right or wrong. So, yeah, th that's why I go seek out somebody who's doing it well. Don't just don't just try and do it blindly. Um, yes. There's enough resources out there that people can do that. So, Corey, if, if somebody was trying to reach you, uh, what would be the, the place that we should send them? Yeah, best place to find me. I'm fairly active on social media. You can find me on Facebook under my name. You can find me on Instagram under my name. I've got my own domain, so CoreyMcKinnon.com. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty active in the Ontario real estate meetup, you know, network of things. I, I try to be active, and it's one of those things you got to make the decision, right? To uh, uh, you know, just commit to being out there and expanding your network, which is what I am. So I really appreciate the opportunity here to be on your podcast and continue to meet some of your listeners and stuff too. Yeah, well, it's, it's been great having you here. And like I said, I heard your name a million times. Everyone's talking about you. You're on Matt McKeever's videos. I'm like, why hasn't he been on my show yet? Um, there you but go. Uh, no, I really, I really appreciate it. So if you're not doing all this, uh, this real estate stuff, what are you doing? What's your, what's your passions, hobbies outside of real estate? Um, well, we, we have four kids under the age of seven right now, so it keeps us very busy, but we love to travel. Um, I'm a big health and fitness geek. Um, you know, some people call that being a health hacker or whatever, but you know, I just feel that, you know, your, your number one wealth is actually your health because if you don't, you know, I want to be active and doing cool stuff into my eighties. So yeah. if you don't look after your health it doesn't matter how much money you make, right? I've had chances to make way more money, um, C level type positions, but I've turned them down because I'm going to lose my my lifestyle that i that i that i want you know i wake up every day it's kind of like a saturday i can choose to do whatever i want and i don't want to be so stressed out to the point where 
I don't want to work out. I don't want to, I'm grabbing the wrong food choices and everything else just because I'm stressed or I'm short on time or whatever. So uh, big into health and, you know, I, I just love to give back and, you know, teach other people the fundamentals of real estate too. Right. So yeah. I think it's important because they don't teach us stuff in school that um, it's important to, once you get to a certain level to also start to give back too. Yeah, I agree. That's and why it, I'm trying to be on, you know, different YouTube channels and different podcasts to let people know that it is totally possible. You know, I didn't come from a whole lot when I was young, but it's actually, when you look at the stat, how many people are um, first generation millionaires versus second generation? I mean, it's like, go out and make it happen yourself. Like you don't need to be given very much to go make it happen. Not anymore. You just need to know the system. You need to go find the people who are doing it. Find people like Corey who are doing it and get, you know, take advantage of that, right? Yeah, or like yourself too, man. You're doing very well. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're plant-based, are you not? I, uh, majority. Yeah. Mostly, so okay. I still do some eggs and fish and stuff yeah. like that, but not a big fan of red meat, not a fan of chicken, pork. That's your, that's your health hack. Yeah. All right. So keep keeping it healthy there. I'm just, I'm just a big fan of fresh and, you know, organic. It's just, it's got so much flavor. And when you're, when you're a healthy person, your taste buds are healthy. Like you feel the, you, you can taste the flavors. Um, sounds kind of boring, but I'm just like a big fan of just like a, give me a big, big bowl of salad man and just i'll go to town on it i need to change my taste buds to want that <laughs> <laughs> it's you got to train them right i didn't like coffee when i first drank it so there yeah, you go yeah there's there's some time some time to change but uh anyways cory i uh, i hope you enjoyed this process i just wanted to help people get to know you a little bit better and what oh, really you know what you that. do at all this so uh, thank you so much for coming and uh, keep me in the loop on on how things are going with that development i'm i'm definitely going to want to hear and and you know i'll post your uh, your updates i'd love to to keep our our listeners and viewers apprised cool excellent all right all thanks. right folks have a great day have a great week make it special hey guys thanks for watching today's episode if you have not already done so please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on itunes or apple podcasts if you're on youtube please make sure you click that like and subscribe button as well as the notification bell leave me a comment below and while you're at it why not share this episode with somebody that you think it can help i would really appreciate it and it's going to help this podcast grow and help build the community around it thanks a lot we'll see you on the next episode